This week on episode 513 of Priority One, Noah Hawley speaks out about what happened with his Star Trek project, Michelle Paradise talks about a canon wish list, Ronald D. Moore shares some history about TNG's redemption episodes, and in gaming, Star Trek Online is ready to hit the beaches of Risa with this year's summer event. Lastly, Dr. Robert Hurt helps us solve the mystery of Orion's incredible dimming star. You're listening to a Roddenberry podcast. Command codes verified. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Hello, Captains. You're listening to episode 513 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Your weekly recap and review of all the major news happening in the Star Trek multiverse. This episode was recorded on Tuesday, June 22nd, and available for download or streaming on Friday, June 25th at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elio. I'm Kat. And I'm Roscoe. Well, I've got a lot of news to cover this week. I hope you guys had uh, a good weekend and are enjoying your summer or winter, I guess, since we are on different sides of the hemisphere. Winter is going great. Uh, it Mine happens to be a Queensland winter, so it's subtropical, which means clear blue skies, no cloud about at all, and really mild temperate days in the sunshine, kind of cold at night, and it's just absolutely perfect. There's so many people who come up from the southern states and they are chasing that sunshine. So, yeah, you, you don't fly south for the winter here. You fly north. It's um, it's great. Kat, do you have to uh, turn off your air conditioner after 7 o'clock? No. <laughs> My air conditioner better not turn off. Is hot. Really, really, really hot here. And I have so many things I could say, but I'm not going to. <laughs> Understood. Mm-hmm. Well, Captains, we want to welcome new listeners to the show and hope you'll stay in touch. You see, this show is produced by a community of volunteers who donate their time and talents because, like you, they're passionate about what Star Trek is all about. So, Captains, we ask you to get involved and be a part of our podcast community. Follow us on social media so you can share your thoughts about the weekly headlines and quite possibly have them read aloud on our show. Or consider joining the team and lending your time and talents to produce producing this podcast. If you don't have the time, perhaps you have a few extra bucks that you can throw our way. If you find value in the podcast, consider supporting us financially by joining our Patreon family. And speaking of patrons, we'd like to welcome our latest supporter, Clayton. Thanks for joining, Clayton. Thanks, Clayton. Welcome. No matter what, our corner of this community is always eager to include more members and share in the passion we all have for Star Trek. So visit us at PriorityOnePodcast.com and learn about all the ways you can help share our little corner of the Star Trek multiverse. Whether by joining our team, becoming a patron, or being a part of the conversation by joining our communities, like the ones we have on social media, or for games via the Priority One Armada. Now let's find out what's been happening in the Star Trek multiverse. I don't know. Then let's trek it out. 
In a recent interview with Deadline's Pete Hammond, Noah Hawley addresses his disappointment that his vision for a Star Trek film didn't come to fruition. When asked about the project, he had this to say. There was major casting that we were in the middle of. We had a production schedule and I was getting ready to go to Australia. Then, as you said, new management. You know, I guess in retrospect, what surprised me is not that Emma Watts came in and said, are you people crazy? This is an untested crew. This is an original idea. We don't know if this is going to work. It's that I got as far as I did. You know, it was a really fun movie and I think it would have been a great film. But, you know, you can't control these things. So you move on. Now, as you might have heard, he name-dropped Emma Watts, who was named president of the Paramount Motion Picture Group back in June of 2020, replacing Wick Godfrey. You know, what's crazy to me is how far he managed to get in the production before the project was scrapped. I mean, this was a pretty revealing interview, and it's early on, so if you don't want to watch the whole 30 minutes of it, you know, you can just kind of start at the beginning. Yeah, yeah, this was this was uh, a bit of a look behind the, the, the looking glass, or look beyond the looking glass here where he he pretty much says Emma Watts put the kibosh on the whole thing, right? He had already been working with the existing president and, and heads of CBS, got pretty far along, and then they said no. Mm, probably. Well, I'll just blame Alex Kurtzman. <laughs> <laughs> but that's too bad because you know what's great about Noah Hawley is he's always talked about his passion for Trek and I love hearing him talk about it. So that's kind of a bummer that that, that happens. And you would kind of hope that Paramount Plus, who is looking for new content all the time, would green light projects like that because it fills a content hole for them. It fills a gap. It, it adds to that new, new something new every week on Paramount Plus. But yeah, it's, it's a real shame. Very disappointed. Now, Elio, could you uh, clarify for me, was Noah's project, was that Kelvin timeline based or Prime timeline? He doesn't specify. Nothing mm. is specified as to the, the story itself. So, you know, I yeah, it would be nice to have Star Trek content every week. But at the same time, I don't want Star Trek content just for the sake of it, right? I would prefer that it be quality. Now, as to the the value or quality of whatever project that Noah Hawley was working on, you know, we may never know. But, you know, I look at one of the recent films that were released on Paramount Plus, Infinity, with Mark Wahlberg, and I talked about this last week. You know, it was uh, uh, an okay pop, okay popcorn flick, right? It was all right. It wasn't spectacular. The story was weak. And the characters were weak. I, I personally didn't like it. It was very much a Mark Wahlberg movie. And so I would rather them focus on creating quality content that lives up to the expectations that have been set over the last 60 years when dealing with Star Trek. That leads us to our first community question this week. In the same way fans clamour for the DC Snyderverse and Batfleck, should we rally behind Hawley to see his Star Trek project created? Let us know in the comments section for this episode at PriorityOnePodcast.com or by replying to our community question post on our social media channels like Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. While we're on the topic of interviews, The Hollywood Reporter presents Q&A video series featured Sonequa Martin-Green, Michelle Paradise and Olatunde Osunsa Sanmi of Star Trek Discovery. The conversation focused a great deal on season three and repeated a lot of things we've already heard. Perhaps the one question asked that deviated from the norm was what canonical plots or characters are on the writer's room wish list? To which Michelle Paradise replied, uh, 
I'm almost hesitant to say. I love tribbles. I really do. I just, but they're a pain. Tribbles are a pain. You don't want to do tribbles. Uh, we have these questions about um, what are the awesome things in canon that we haven't touched on yet, or where are the opportunities? Like this season with the Guardian of Forever, it's it's really having 60 years of history is actually it's so much fun to be able to to bring in some of these things. And then uh, thanks to the time jump, we're also uh, a, a bit ahead of, of many of those things, so we aren't trying to um, uh, marry them in our current time frame so we can play a little bit more. They went on to praise the cast and crew for their incredible work behind the scenes and in front of the camera. When asked about season four, Paradise's answer was incredibly vague, though sticking to an answer that didn't give anything away. You know, I, these interviews keep happening and it just, it feels like propaganda to me. <laughs> and of course, of course it's going to be. You know, we had a, a conversation about Alex Kurtzman's interview uh, last week, kind of tore into it because they say a lot of things that we want to hear. Right, that we're excited by this this passion for Star Trek and this respect for canon and and in that you know audio clip she says that the you know in the writers room we have discussions about you know all the canonical things we can be we can play with and yet the end result just doesn't match what they say in the marketing rounds it just doesn't to me at least and so maybe you know, they I, figure I, if they say it enough it'll be true I don't know it's it's this misdirection you know. I don't want to call it gaslighting, even though it kind of matches the definition, where they, they're they just like, yeah, everything is great. It's one of those key words that they've really focused on in all of the interviews that I've heard so far in the lead up to any particular season of Discovery so far, any particular season of, or the in leading up to season one and season two of Picard, canon. They always talk about canon, how respectful they are of canon, what canon has done before, what can we do? What? How canon is a springboard that we can jump off of? It's great. We love canon. Everyone respects canon. And then at the end of the season, we sit down and we watch it. And most of the time we go, okay, so they're aware of canon. They, they, they know what canon is. But looking at that on screen, that sometimes doesn't marry up in a lot of cases. And it's... Yeah, it's just one of those keywords that we keep on hearing. And it's like you say, it's the way they try and appease fans to go, oh, no, we're, we're really respectful of canon. But seeing that reflected it, on it, screen, you know what, though? Mm, it, it's a challenge. It's not just about canon and them keeping on with this thing about canon, right? That's not the only word they invoke. They invoke things like the importance of Gene Roddenberry's vision of inclusivity and, and the future where we're all together and diversity and representation, yada, yada, yada. And and yet the stories, although yes, the characters are diverse, the stories don't really respect diverse characters and diverse storytelling. I think it's important, though, to say that it is important that they do mark those moments to say that this is the first non-binary character, this is the first trans character, and those the importance of marking those milestones really can't be understated. Yes, I, I do take your point that Star Trek is playing a little bit of catch-up, but we also have never had the wealth of Star Trek at the moment that's either on air or in production. The, um, the volume of Trek that we have at the moment is 
astounding. So that in itself is great. To mark those milestones, I think, is important because they kind of have had to play catch up for a little while. But now we're at a point where we can move forward. We've marked those milestones. Let's tell good stories because we have marked that and used that as a platform to to branch off of. You're right. You're right. I don't want to underplay the fact that these are incredible milestones in science fiction, Trek, and general popular culture. They are incredible. I think they can do better. I think that the, the these characters deserve better, right? The storytelling deserves better. Ken from Chicago in the chat asks, with more Star Trek, does that increase the opportunity of respecting canon and being inclusive? I think it increases the opportunity for more storytelling. And that can include aspects of canon that we can build upon and that can include being inclusive as well because we've got more opportunities to to tell those stories ken it's a yeah we've got a wealth of stories that are there to be told in multiple seasons of television programs let's get out and make sure that we can tell as as many diverse stories as possible yeah i'm having a hard time reconciling you know we keep talking about yes they need better storytelling and yes these milestones are important but i also feel like the way these shows are produced and written is the modern style storytelling and there's really not a lot of in-depth you know thought-provoking well there are but it's not happening in Star Trek (laughs) so I feel like maybe if it's Paramount Plus I don't know the whole network issue because the network transitioned to streaming only maybe they're not as open to telling those more thought-provoking stories that they could have told if it was like a cable network only or you know other paid subscription but maybe they're just having growing pains i don't know possibly and captains that leads us to our next community question this week what canonical stories or characters do you think discovery could explore well let us know in the comment section for this episode at priority1podcast.com do you ever find yourself wondering what it would be like to get Lorca back into star trek mm-hmm. well wonder no more because the man himself jason isaacs told comicbook.com the answer and it's simple have a good script wait is that answer simple though i don't give a damn i just want it done One would hope so, or at least hope the right script is out there because Isaacs won't take just any role. He says that he, quote, had a fantastic time on Star Trek. I loved all the people. I loved being part of that universe. And Prime Lorca, the Prime Universe version of my captain, has yet to be found. But I wouldn't go back just to be in it. I'd go back if you had a great story to tell, end quote. Isaacs can be seen next in the film Creation Stories. I really want to see this Creation Stories movie. I mean, of course, you know, I'm happy to watch Jason and Isaac's uh, reprise Captain Lorca. But this movie sounds fascinating because it's this true story based on Alan McGee, who basically created the whole cool Britannia, you know, 90s Britpop movement with like Oasis. And I want to say Blur, but I know Primal Scream was involved. And he is a fascinating uh, individual trying to get the records produced because, well, if, you, if you're at all interested in the entertainment industry, I love these kinds of stories about the music business. I would very much like to thank Alan McGee uh, for his contribution to music because as someone who works in radio, I very much appreciate the song from Blur, Song 2, because just under two minutes, when you are trying to find the correctly timed song to make 
sure that you get to the news at the top of the hour. It is absolutely perfect and comes in handy so many times. So thank you, Alan. You have saved my bacon on many, many occasions. Well, more Lorca. Yes, please. Someone write that amazing script and bring back Prime Lorca. Let's start a movement. We could start that. Maybe <laughs> Noah Hawley could write that movement. Great idea. This week marks 30 years since the cliffhanger Next Generation episode, Redemption Part 1, originally went to air. It laid a lot of the foundations for the Klingon culture thanks to writer Ronald D. Moore, but it almost didn't happen. There is proof of this. There is. In an interview this week with The Hollywood Reporter, Moore discusses the building of Worf over time with episodes like The Bonding and Sins of the Father, as well as slowly building up the Klingon culture. So much so that Moore became known as, you know, that Klingon guy. But there was a lot of pushback from Gene Roddenberry, who didn't see Worf as a main character. What do you mean? Quote, TNG was about Picard. He was the captain. This was the first time that Next Gen, that Star Trek really, had ever done a big war story like this. And this was going to be the series 100th episode on top of it. So we had to fight somewhat to get the episode going. End quote. Executive producer Rick Berman and the late TNG showrunner Michael Piller helped run interference with Roddenberry. He stands alone, surrounded by his enemies. And thankfully, Redemption, Parts 1 and 2 made it to air. The Klingon Empire will never yield. If it hadn't, there would have been no Klingon Civil War or characters like the Dura sisters and the half-Romulan, half-human Sela who continues to vex us in Star Trek Online to this day. You have 20 hours to recall your ships and return peacefully to Federation territory. Go Ronald D. Moore. Thank you for the Warp episodes because I love hearing that background. Yeah, it's just interesting to me to hear when Gene was outspoken and against some of these episodes, which, you know, end up being very memorable and very world building, which I can hear people now saying, but just a moment ago, you were saying that people need to stick to Gene Roddenberry's vision. Yes, that is true. That I, there is no doubt that some of the best Trek happened after Gene or despite of Gene Roddenberry's vision. However, that's not to say that those episodes didn't have a point, right? Didn't have an arc, didn't tell a story didn't build on a character, didn't in its own way teach us something, show us something of ourselves or of, you know, people around us and was good science fiction. What was amazing reading the article was a discussion between Ron Moore and Michael Piller. And Michael Michael Piller basically said to him, so you're the Klingon guy, go and write me a memo, write me a brief on the Klingons. And Ron just went, right. I'm in and took that ball and ran with it. And if you look at some of the other projects that Ron has been involved with since some of the amazing TV that he has mm -hmm. cranked out over the years, Battlestar Galactica, mm -hmm. and even more recently for All Mankind, for me mm -hmm. is one of the best shows that I've seen on TV right now. It is absolutely mm -hmm. astounding. Beautiful TV. World building is his thing. That's his wheelhouse. So to start it all with Klingons 30 years ago, and now this is where we're at in terms of what we understand Klingon culture to be and what has it's built from, that, that platform that he started and what he built upon was just fantastic. It's so rich. And the many character uh, Klingon alts that I have in Star Trek Online are testament to that. What about you, Kat? Mm -hmm. 
Well, yes. Uh, I mean, I agree with all of that. But you did leave out a very good Ronald D. Moore show that doesn't get a lot of attention, maybe, is Outlander, which is also world building. Oh, yeah. Not sci-fi, but there is some time travel involved, so a little bit of fantasy there. Outlander, um, not really my speed. Not really my thing. I think it's my wife's thing. It's it's not my thing. Well, anyway, we can talk <laughs> about that. It's an amazing book series. Um, really well written. But uh, Ronald D. Moore, yes. I mean, you know, Battlestar Galactica is one of the best things out there. Um, just great. But to, yeah, I agree with you. To think it all started with filling out the Klingon background and mythos and all the things we have to know about war. Ugh, so good. Now, here are a few headlines that we didn't discuss but thought might interest you. Links, of course, will be in our show notes. Wilson Cruz chatted with Yahoo about the importance of representation, not just in Star Trek, but in television and film in general. He shared his own story about breaking down barriers and forging his own path in the industry throughout the 90s and early aughts. The article isn't all about Trek, but it's an important conversation. I don't want to go too much into detail about this, but it does kind of connect to what we were discussing before about diversity and representation. Uh, Wilson Cruz is an incredible actor advocate, not just for the LGBTQ plus community, but as a Latino. And every time I hear him address this and every time I hear him talk about this, it's always just amazing from his perspective, especially. He had to break down his own barriers. He had to knock on the door, as he says in the interview, in order to be seen and audition and get parts. And he's such a talented actor that I still think he deserves better than what we got in season two and season one of of Discovery, right? Duncan Idaho in the chat, I still hug my DVD. DVD collection too. The whole seven series of uh, Next Generation in the big silver boxes, big massive chunky things, and the whole seven series of Deep Space Nine. I think I may even have the giant Borg cube Voyager on DVD as well. Was there a need to kill him? I don't think so. Was there was there that much of a payoff? Not that I can recall. And same thing with Blue Del Barrio and Ian Alexander. Great actors, great performers that I felt deserved more screen time right? Deserved a stronger story. So yeah, the article may not be too much about Star Trek, but it's definitely an important conversation that we need to continue to have. And it's an important conversation that we need to make sure that the creators of Star Trek know that we are paying attention to, right? That we need to see more stories that represent in a way that is respectful and creative. Remember, Captains, to learn more about these headlines, be sure to review the show notes for this episode at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Well, Captains, that's all the news we have to track out this week. Now let's find out what happened in the world of Star Trek gaming. Welcome aboard, Captain. Congratulations. High score. I am First Elio, and I am dead. As of this moment, we are all dead. We go into battle to reclaim our lives. This we do gladly. For we are Jem'Hadar. Remember, victory is life. The recruitment revamp continues in Star Trek Online, with the Gamma Recruit event active until July 22nd for the glory of the Founders. If you create a new Jem'Hadar character, you'll gain access to special bonuses awarded throughout gameplay, which also unlock rewards across your entire account. All those characters. This is the third time players have been able to create a Gamma Recruit since the unveiling of the Victory is Life expansion back in 2018. Now, Cryptic's adding some new goals and altering a few to include 
all reputation marks. So my question with this one, guys, will this encourage you to create a new Jem'Hadar character or will you simply log back into your existing Gamma recruits and plunder all that booty from the rewards? Uh, I have four Gamma recruits mm-hmm. already. I'm good. <laughs> uh, so I will be logging into those. Uh, I need no more Jem'Hadar um, because I have a hard enough time playing the four I have. Yeah, I already have the one. Um, I will. I, I don't think I even finished it. I, you see, I'm not that kind of an MMO player. Never, never have I ever been the kind of MMO player to create m- multiple characters and run through everything more than twice at most. So yeah, I I might go in and finish the Gamma recruit that I have. I don't. You know what though? I think I did finish the Gamma, the, my Gemadar character. I might have already finished him. Maybe. Uh, I'm just waiting for the Temporal recruit because that's the only recruit that I missed, and that one hasn't been rerun ever. I think. You're correct. They did say they will rerun that one, but they wanted to make some adjustments to it, so they redid Gamma instead. Which, you know, for I know a lot of players, especially uh, a bunch of people in the Armada, that said they've missed all the reruns of Gamma Recruits and they don't have one, so I know a bunch of people are taking advantage of it, which is great because recruitment events are super fun. I love having that special, you know, device where you get extra bonuses, and of course, because it's account-wide, you can put it on you know, you unlock it on all of your characters and you get so much great stuff. EC, Dilithium, Marks, it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. I have two Gamma recruits. One's tactical, one's an engineer. I may need a science Gamma recruit. Yeah, just to really round it out. I don't know. It's hard to get it's hard to get behind a sciencey gem hadar, uh, right though? Yeah. A little bit. It's I, I think my tactical gem hadar is a Polaron cannon build and it works quite well. It's it's doing okay. Uh particularly with like the morphogenic uh, uh set that you get from the mission home. That works. I really like that. But one thing that's changing is that once you reach tier six in a reputation, you get one tier six X upgrade token with your Gamma Recruit. So that's new. That's exciting. Need more of those. Yeah, the rewards are pretty good. I guess I am going to have to start playing my Gamma Recruits again to get them up Mm -hmm. to tier six. And there's a new goal as well. Yeah. If you complete the swarm TFO five times, uh, then you get some gamma marks and uh, the elite reward from that yeah. as well. Germanium carapace fragment. So yeah, there's some there's some extra yeah, stuff in there. Then you have to do you have to do swarm five times, <sighs> but only five times. I'm already experiencing <laughs> that here in New Jersey. I'm, I have no interest of voluntarily fighting my way through a swarm of anything, a swarm of something that I know our Vera based off of the cicadas happening right now in, <laughs> in the east so thanks, yeah is it no bad thanks. i haven't seen any videos from you yet. i am not I, because i've been avoid i haven't left my house in like six weeks <laughs> well at least you don't have to mm-hmm. you need to get yourself that. a phaser that's what you need mm-hmm. yeah I, have to, I need one too Cryptic announced more details today about the upcoming Lolanot Festival running concurrently on all platforms from July 1st to July 31st. The blog post announced that the event ship will be an all-new Rysian luxury cruiser vessel, Tier 6, with details and the ship's stats to be released in a separate post. As for other Ryzer activities, all of the old favourites from previous years will be returning, including Powerboard Races, the Biathlon, 
triathlon, horgon hunting, scavenging with Sovac, and of course, the galaxy-famous dance party. Participating in any of the events will grant progress towards the Rysian luxury cruiser vessel. As for the new items in the event store, there's a new baseball uniform for the Jupiter Station Stembolts and two new t-shirts to collect. You can get a disco shirt or the famous choo-choo dance shirt, which I am especially excited for. There's also a new impulsive floater, powerboard, and vanity shield. Also making waves is the Tsunami Generator. This universal kit module replicates a wave that rolls out from the player, smashing into everything in front of it before crashing apart. The force of the wave knocks down creatures and injures them, and has a chance to temporarily disable electronic devices such as turrets and drones. They had the animation of this on the website, and I cannot wait to try this because it looks amazing. But there's also a new kit frame, Ryzean Volcanology, and this kit frame, while equipped, provides rebreather functionality to protect you from toxic gas, and its heatsink controls grant complete immunity to fire. And don't forget the pets, because there are new options. The pastel-colored Transcendent Caracal, vanity pet, and Transcendent Tribble. Petting the Tribble will grant a constant, passive, small chance to resist and throw off any effect that would control you, as you refuse to be limited or constrained. If you're on a team with multiple people petting this Tribble, the chances stack based on the number of people involved. This Tribble is unafraid of Klingons or other species that have treated Tribbles negatively in the past. Huh, that's pretty interesting. I love the stackable Tribbles, so if you get a team of people, I mean, the Rainbow Tribble is good for that too, but I was trying to think maybe if you were battling uh, the Alachi, you know, that would be a good team Tribble to have if it's gonna, you know, keep you from being controlled. Or I guess Borg, that might be good too. And let's make no mistake, this is clearly a statement from Cryptic Studios and Star Trek online and their support for the trans community. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Oh, the colors are the trans flag colors. That's Mm -hmm. fantastic. I can't wait to get these. Plus the t-shirts. And, you know, everyone loves an adorable caracal. One of the comments one of the comments that I saw on on social media from Star Trek Online someone commented to say that is this Stowe quietly showing support for the trans community? And Stowe replied to say not quietly at all. So that's a really wonderful positive thing. Absolutely. And more goodies, which is great too. And speaking of more goodies, surprise, because there's a new bundle. The new Genesis bundle will be available on PC starting on June 24th for 7,500 Zen and is on sale for the first week. This bundle features two new T6 ships, the Malakowski class, an updated Clark multi-mission command cruiser, and the long-awaited Oberth class, otherwise known as the Grissom Light Science Vessel. Note, these two ships will also be available as separate purchases outside of the new Genesis bundle, which is very exciting. The bundle also includes some account-wide unlocks, such as the Genesis ground vanity device and some of the Wrath of Khan outfits and a Type 2 phaser compression pistol, circa 2285. Additional value is also included in this bundle in the form of the following one-time inclusions, meaning this is character-specific. You get two experimental starship upgrade tokens and two fleet ship modules, but that's, again, character only. The other items are account unlocks. And also note that the um, Genesis ground device that you get is a little different 
than the one they gave to the Foundry authors because they left out the Starfleet coffin, which is kind of a bummer. But that's kind of something special for those Foundry authors, which is nice. So, well, I don't know. Are you guys excited about this bundle? I'm going to get it. Um, I'm getting it. Probably not, but you know, I, I do want to take a moment to talk about that Genesis item because it was an exclusive item for the Foundry authors. Now, for those of you unaware, Star Trek Online used to allow players to create their own missions in the game. It was called the Foundry, and much like many other games that allow you to create your own maps and whatnot, Star Trek Online had a had the the mechanism by which a player can create their own fan projects. When support for the Foundry sunset and they were no longer going to update the technology behind that part of the game, they awarded Foundry authors with a, a Genesis device, right? It looks a lot like the Genesis device from, from Wrath of Khan. It had been explained that this was exclusive to Foundry authors and that there would be no other way of getting it. So, you know, this is one of those... Um, I, honestly, I think it's a misstep. No matter how different it is from the one that the Foundry authors got, I think that it sends a bunch of wrong messages, right? I think it just, as a whole, just sends a bunch of wrong messages to the community that they're not paying attention to the other 98% of players that just peruse the forums, that just read through Reddit, that just read the Twitter community, and instead focus, they focus so much on what the 2% are writing and typing in a fury behind, safely behind their monitors, they forget. They forget that there are other people that just kind of surf the web, right? They learn, they like to read, they explore the wiki so that they can get better at their own game. They watch YouTubers and they watch Twitch streamers without saying a word. So I get it. The Foundry's old, you know, but of, why not just make a new thing, right? Why not create a new item? Let's put that behind us that was given away. Let's not ever introduce it again just to make a buck. I don't know. It's it's unfortunate. You know, I know that a few Foundry authors have been more vocal than others regarding this. Yeah, I think Duncan Idaho makes that good point, too, of where it's it's just part of this bundle. They didn't really need to do that. I mean, did it really need to go in there, even though it's Genesis bundle? And yes, you had a Genesis device, but that doesn't mean you had to put it in there. Right, right, right. Yeah, I don't think people would be buying the bundle for just for that device right yeah nor nor, right, exactly. nor do i feel does it sweeten the deal yeah i mean most people <laughs> that have even expressed interest in this uh bundle is be strictly because of the t6 oberth and nothing else so they're all they all i either going to just get the ship individually and though some people are going to get the bundle because they want both ships but that t6 oberth apparently a lot of people really wanted i know panda did he told me because i was uh pretty shocked <laughs> i did not know that was such a hot market topic item well cat why don't you tell us uh, some armada news do we have any we do i've been talking about the armada's eighth anniversary that's been happening all month. We've been celebrating by daily giveaways and weekly events. This Saturday, we're doing our famous Rysian Triathlon, which is part ground race, uh, floater race, and powerboard race. So it's so much fun. I hope a bunch of people turn out because we always have a good time. And we're giving away ships, the T6 ships. You can get one if you win the race. So come on out Saturday and 
uh, if you want to know what time that's happening, if you go to the events tab in the fleet menu in game, that will tell you in your local time zone. But also, yeah, this is a great month to join the Armada if you're not a member already. So please visit our website at PriorityOneArmada.com. And in other gaming news, in celebration of the European Football Championship, the folks at Fleet Command shared a guide on how to play soccer in the game. It's not a mini game as such, more a suggestion from the developers on how it could be done in-game. It involves choosing two arbitrary points as the goals and putting together teams with your friends or alliances to get the ball across the line. You can find a link to a demo video in our show notes. That's all the news in gaming this week. Now let's look up towards the final frontier with Dr. Robert Hurt. Space. Astronomy, quantum mechanics. It's not theoretical, it's not hypothetical, it's real. Education. Astrometrics. The final frontier. For this week's Astrometrics Report, we examine the solution to a dark mystery of astrophysics. Here, I'm speaking literally about the incredible darkening of one of the brightest stars in the night sky. Even the most casual backyard astronomer can point out the constellation Orion in the fall and winter skies. The bright red star forming Orion's upper left shoulder is known as Betelgeuse, or Betelgeuse, if you want an alternate but equally valid pronunciation. Whatever your phonetic preference, it is the tenth brightest star in the entire sky. So imagine everyone's excitement back in late 2019 when this stellar beacon began to unexpectedly get darker. This was not subtle. By early 2020, it had dipped to about a third of its usual brightness, almost fading into the background in the Orion constellation. This was a big deal for a red giant star, which is about 18 times more massive than our sun and 760 times larger in physical size. That makes it three and a half times larger than the Earth's orbit, which is big enough to gobble up Mars and the entire asteroid belt, falling just short of Jupiter's orbit. So what can make such a huge, massive star go dark? That question prompted a lot of speculation because of another aspect of red giant stars. They are the last evolutionary stop for huge stars before they explode as supernovae. Stars a bit more massive than our sun will reach a point where nuclear fusion has produced a much wider variety of elements than our sun ever will. This ultimately leaves a growing iron core that becomes so dense that gravity will overwhelm it, causing it to collapse to form a vastly denser neutron star or black hole. In this instant, the outer layers of the star will cascade into this sudden void, heat up and rebound with an incredible release of energy that can for a brief period match or exceed the energy output of all the other stars in the galaxy combined. And Betelgeuse, or Betelgeuse, is on the short list of candidate stars that could make this next big boom in our galaxy. And that would certainly be exciting. At a distance of about 600 light years, such an event would be so bright as to be visible in the daytime sky for weeks. But relax, it is more than distant enough to keep us safe from getting cooked in the process. So, was this rapid dimming the precursor to the astronomical show of a lifetime? As you might guess from the lack of sensational headlines, over the following months, the star returned to its regular brightness, and no boom. But the question remained, what had happened to our favorite red giant star? In a recent paper, astronomers have announced a resolution to this mystery, and the culprit is dust that came from Betelgeuse itself. The evidence was presented in a series of high-resolution images of the star, showing what seemed
seemed to be a smoky veil passing in front of its disk before moving on. And that evidence alone is an incredible telescopic achievement, because even though Betelgeuse is over a hundred times farther away than our near neighbor Alpha Centauri, its incredible size makes it only one of a handful of other stars for which we've been able to resolve surface features. Those images, along with infrared light measurements that did not show any decrease in brightness, help seal the deal for dust being the dimming agent. Fundamental changes to the structure of the star, or even Michael Bay-style alien megastructures swarming around it, would affect all wavelengths of light, while dust blocks mainly visible light but becomes largely transparent in the infrared. In the recent study, astronomers have proposed that the turbulent star had ejected a bubble of gas, cooling slightly in the process. That allowed the gas to condense into particles of dust that, while orbiting around the star, passed in front of it for a few months, causing all of the fuss. While that might not be as dramatic as an explosion to put Hollywood blockbusters to shame, it's still a pretty amazing result. This illuminates one of the many ways that stars are responsible for forging so many of the elements in the universe that make up planets and people. This dust ejection is one way these elemental building blocks are blown out into the galaxy to become the source material for new stars, planets, and maybe even life forms in the distant future. Check the show notes for a link to the press release that includes the images and animations. That wraps it up for this week's Astrometrics Report. Now let's open hailing frequencies and see what's incoming. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See, we are getting to know each other. Hailing frequencies are now open, and we're ready to receive all of your incoming messages. Our first community question last episode was, what are the bills you want to see paid in Lower Decks and Picard Seasons 2? From Facebook, Matt Black says, Elnor meeting a cat. Heck, give us a short trek of just this. Apostolos replied, going, Elnor needs to say, choose to purr. <laughs> Oh, funny. I would watch that too, though. On Twitter, Jamal writes, For Picard, what happened to the rest of the Enterprise crew that's so bad that Picard wouldn't ask them for help in Season 1? And in Lower Decks, more backstory for everyone. Also from Twitter, Captain BG 2301 writes, I'm excited to see more of the Titan. You know, it just so happens that I've been watching shows that are in that family of Bad Robot, right, with Alex Kurtzman. Well, not really... Yeah, no, Alex Christmas was in Fringe. But the J.J. Damon Lindelof. What's his name? Mm-hmm. Lindelof? Is that Lindelof. Um, oh, you said you started watching Lost. I started we watching Lost. Discuss. And I, I am having a hard time getting through season one. A real <gasps> hard time. But here's mm-hmm. the thing. Is that they're taking their sweet time developing these characters, giving their backstory. Where is that in in New Trek? Why are what you know that Lost was what ten years ago, twelve years ago, if that? Mm-hmm. Like that wasn't that long ago. But where's that creative team? I almost want to do a paper: the history of the Kurtzman, Abrams, Lindelof, Orsi relationship, the content they produced, and then what happened to things when they all started breaking apart because it would seem that they work better together and not separate. You should. Mm-hmm. You should write a paper. You should I'm get it published. Write a paper. I don't want to write In an academic right journal. <laughs> Professor no, Elio people, people will still writes. People will still say I have no right to have these opinions. But then they're on paper. Then they're, they're, on paper. Ma- they're there for all time. Well, our second community question was, did you purchase Star Trek Online's Mud Bundle? And which options did you decide on? 
from Twitter, Captain BG twenty three hundred one answered this one too, saying, "Yes, I bought the muds pack. I went for the small pack and got the two ship packs and the jellyfish. I chose those because they were promo packs, and they're usually extremely hard or expensive to get." From Priority One Podcast dot com, Sean Newboy simply states, "No value as priced." even at 50% off. Well, that wraps up episode 513 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. But there are more great shows available to you on the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Just visit podcasts.roddenberry.com for a complete list. Then be sure to subscribe to them all and share them with your friends. And we can't forget to send a special thanks to some of our Patreon supporters like David K. Rutley, Peter Archibald, and Gerald Bosch. Now here's a reminder of our community questions for this week. Should fans rally behind Noah Hawley's Star Trek project the way fans clamored over DC's Snyderverse and Batfleck? Also, what canonical stories or characters do you think Discovery could explore well? Captains, it's important to us that you get your voice heard and that you participate in the conversation. Leave us a comment on our website at PriorityOnePodcast.com, on our Facebook page at Facebook.com forward slash PriorityOnePodcast, or find us on Twitter and Instagram at PriorityOnePod. And if you're still craving more, be sure to spend time with Winters, Anthony, Thomas, Gray, me, plus the rest of the Priority One Armada. Saturday nights, the Armada broadcasts live to review the latest news from Star Trek Online and the Armada community, including spotlighting some of our amazing members. With regular giveaways, there's something for all Stove players, whether you're new or a veteran. Follow us on all our social media accounts for broadcast times, and if you'd like to join the Armada, visit PriorityOneArmada.com. This episode of Priority One is brought to you by our patrons through Patreon.com. During these difficult times, we are humbled by the continued support of our patrons who find value in the content that we produce each and every week. Find out how you can be a member of our Patreon family and what perks we have to offer for your support. Visit patreon.com forward slash priority one for more information. And captains, don't forget to tune in to Priority One Productions Guard Frequency Podcast at guardfrequency.com. Each episode, The Guard will take you inside the universe of your favorite space sims, including a tabletop adventure played out by your your hosts and heroes rise brings you up to date with the world of dungeons and dragons learn all about the latest publications tools tips tricks and traps in less time than it takes to skin a wyvern head over to heroesrisepodcast.com to discover their secrets thanks to our audio editors including gray brandon william daniel rand alex and lennon Thanks to our producer, Jake, and associate producers, Shane and Thomas. Together, they help us organize and write up our summary of the weekly headlines from the Star Trek multiverse. Thanks to our graphic artist, Alejandro, with support from Jason of the Priority One Armada. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. Most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek community, our listeners. Because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Enemy ship on sensors. Red alert. Ready weapons. Engage. Engage.
Transfer complete. It's like we're adding so many words to just say it's the third <laughs> word, time. Word this economy. Is the, the, this is the, the not the fourth. This is not the fourth. After the second. Fifth of the <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's the fifth minus two times. <laughs> Currently. Concurrently. Running concurrently, not not cunning run rurently. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, they're hard. This bundle features two new T six ships, the Malakowski class and an oh. This bundle features two new T six ships, the Mal <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> now I'm gonna be laughing. <sighs> this bundle Damn it! <laughs> Malahuski? <laughs> Mike Wazowski. Well, that's the news from. Uh, actually, is this? Actually, uh, the news you, from. Uh, is it? Visit www. Uh, w, what is this? 1990? HTTPS. slash. This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.rottenberry.com.